Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. Well, uh, this morning I have the honor of continuing our series. We are talking about uh, a people of his presence, people of his presence. And uh, we're in a beautiful season here at Dwell. It felt like almost the weekend of the youth conference, there was just almost like this tangible shift in the atmosphere in this room. And it's been like almost every week, the Lord has just been doing something new and fresh in this room. And I wanna say that that does not come by accident. <laughs> that does not come by just playing church as normal. That comes by hunger and desperation. And I shared, about a year ago, I shared this story of this uh, presence-driven pastor, father in the faith, sharing this, this vision he had and he had this vision in 20, was it 2021? He saw the Lord pulling his arrow back. He saw the arrow of the Lord's glory pointed, pulled back and creating all this tension. How many of you know the last couple of years there's been a lot of tension in the air? He, he saw the Lord's arrow pointed and looking for different areas, different regions around the country to shoot it at. And he said that the question is not, will God hit his target? The question is, will we put ourselves in a position to be hit by the target of the Lord's glory? And I wanna suggest that, that we have put ourselves in a position to receive what we're receiving now, that what we're experience right, experiencing right now, the depths and realms of his presence, this is the fruit of what we have been plowing and digging since a year ago. You know, it's no, it's no accident that we said at the beginning of this year, we're gonna go and plow in the place of prayer and then we're gonna go into prophecy and all of that is the fruit of what we're experiencing now. Isn't he beautiful? Isn't his presence wonderful? And you know, one thing I realized in my life, it's one thing to get the presence of God to rest on a people, but it's a whole different thing to get him to remain on a people. <laughs> it's two different things. And I realized in my life that one of the most challenging parts of this Christian life is learning to remain hungry and full at the same time. <laughs> Sounds like a paradox, right? Hungry and full at the same time. That is really the key, the key of David, of what he discovered. He was the most wealthiest man on the earth. He had wealth and riches and a kingdom, yet his heart still had that, that posture of poverty that says, although I have all these things, my heart only possesses one thing remaining hungry and full at the same time. And I realized the key to spiritual, spiritual growth of not only getting the presence here, but increasing the presence is really two sides to one coin. I like to look at it. It's hunger on one side and gratitude on one side. <laughs> See, if I live just in a place of gratitude, then, then I'm gonna just be in spiritual stagnation because I'll be thankful, but I won't really go anywhere. And if I live in the place of hunger only without gratitude, I'm gonna live in spiritual entitlement. And I wanna say that spiritual entitlement is like poison in the hearts of believers. That thing of like, I've seen it all. I've, I've been to all the conferences. I've been to stadium ministries. I, I, I've seen it all. I've seen everything there's to see in God. That heart right there is hard and God can't do much with that. But <laughs> when you live 
in remembering yesterday's encounter, remembering how God touched you yesterday, saying, thank you, Lord, for how you marked me. Thank you, but I can't stay here, Lord. I hunger and ache for more. That is the recipe for a fire of God in someone's life. Hunger and gratitude, hunger and gratitude. I've said this before, but you know, how much money is too much money for a person? I wanna say whatever amount replaces trust. How much favor is too much favor for a person? Whatever amount replaces trust. He's interested in, in, in knowing you. He wants you to know him. He wants him to know you. That's what it's all about. And anything, any blockage in our lives that prevents first love, he has permission to wage war on that. <laughs> and sometimes that doesn't feel very good. But when saying dangerous prayers like, Lord, I want you at any cost, that's a dangerous prayer. That's saying, come and wage war on everything in my heart that wages war against you. <laughs> it's a beautiful prayer, but it's dangerous. And I remember, I remember our first year here at Dwell. I remember Emily and I went with pastors Dave and Nicole to uh, a church called ICLV in Las Vegas. And they were gonna minister there and do worship. And typically when when ministers go travel, they just go travel the one day that they're gonna be ministering and then they leave. But pastors Dave and Nicole were like, no, we're gonna experience the entire, entire thing. We're hungry for more God, we're hungry for more. And what, what marked me the most is knowing pastors Dave and Nicole, knowing their history with God, everything they've seen, everything they've tasted. Every single night when the altar was open for a fresh encounter with the Lord, they were the first ones on their knees, on their faces down at that encounter. They were the first ones there. And in my, in my heart, I'm saying, wait, they've seen it all. They've seen everything, but that's why the Lord is entrusting them with more is because they refuse to live in the staleness and the stagnation of yesterday. They say, Lord, I can't live off yesterday. I need more today. I need more. Right there, that is called sacrifice and fire always falls on sacrifice. <laughs> the moment that sacrifice leaves the altar, the fire goes with it. So to be a people of sustained presence, we must be a people of sustained sacrifice, living in the place of sacrifice, having the dove of his presence come and remain, it's through hunger. In John chapter one, verse 32, I'm sure we're all familiar with this. Jesus gets baptized and it says that the heavens open and the spirit descends upon him like a dove. <laughs> like a dove. And Pastor Bill Johnson has this famous, just amazing uh, revelation on this. He said, if I have a dove on my shoulder right here, if the presence of God is resting me on me like a dove, I have a dove on my shoulder and I don't wanna disturb that dove. I don't want that dove to leave. How would it change the way you walk? How would it change the way you live? Every step I take will be taken with the dove in mind. I wanna say that is the key for us to not only be a people of his presence, but to be a people of sustained presence, of walking with the presence in mind. Every step we take in life is done not to disturb the presence of God weighing on our lives. And you know, in my family, we are unapologetically cat people, all right? <laughs> we, we like dogs, but we just like cats a little more. And for all those people who hate cats, just know that cats descended from lions and Jesus is the lion of Judah, so there will be cats in heaven, amen, right? <laughs> That's in the Bible somewhere, no. <laughs> so, so my wife and I, we have this cat named, named Kobe, C-O-B-Y, not like Kobe Bryant, but C-O-B-Y. And 
every time, every night I go into our office to be with the Lord and to have time in prayer. And I, in the office, there's this little closet and I like to just be in that closet and just minister to the Lord there. And every single night, without a doubt, uh, around like 9.30, Kobe will meow at the door and want inside. And so every time I'll open the door and let him in. And then I'm, I'm sitting there praying. And then a couple of weeks ago, I was praying and Kobe was in my, my prayer room. And I remember asking the Lord in that, in that moment, Lord, show me what grieves your presence. <laughs> show me what grieves your heart. Show me what, what grieves you. I wanna live in a, in a greater sensitivity to your presence. And almost right after those words were out of my mouth, Kobe put his paw in the door hinge in our closet. And I abrupt, abruptly pushed the door closed and snapped his paw in the door. And he let out this shriek, this cry. And I'm already an emotional person. I don't really cry at stuff like that. I don't know if it's because I was in the presence of God, but I just began weeping at the thought of, I just hurt my cat. I just hurt, it's a cat for God's sake. Like it's a cat, but I began weeping and, and that the pain that my cat felt caused the pain in me. And it caused an internal behavioral shift in my heart to change the way I walk around my cat, to change my behavior around our cat. And I felt the Lord revealing to me, that is exactly what it feels like when my people shut the door on the hand of my presence. There's, an, there's a grief there. There's a grief. And one, and one dangerous prayer is to ask the Lord, show me what grieves you. Show me what grieves your heart. Because when he starts revealing what grieves his heart, you've moved into a new level called friendship. <laughs> That's called friendship with the Lord. It's called friendship. And when you know what grieves him, when you know what brings him and what repels him, there's an internal behavioral shift in your heart where it's like, I wanna gossip right here. Oh, that's gonna hurt him. That's gonna leave me in a place, a dry place. I value him resting on me more than I value what I'm getting from this conversation of gossip. I value him resting on me more than I value whatever it is. Does that make sense? And that is, in today's American culture, they will call that legalism. I call it love. <laughs> that is love. That is love. If I do something that breaks my wife's heart, it would be cruel if I kept doing that thing knowing that it's breaking her heart. But love would be, oh no, if this hurts you, then I'm gonna stop this because I care about this more than anything else. And we need to apply that same thing to this relationship. And that is called love. Don't let anybody tell you that is a demon that says that is religion, that, that is legalism. That is called love right there, that is love. Catherine Coleman used to say, so passionately, she would say, please don't grieve the Holy Spirit. He is all that I have. <laughs> He's all that I have. That's called spiritual poverty. It's called, you can have everything. You can have the house, you can have the car, you can have the business, but do those things have you? <laughs> do those things have you? You can have all that, but my heart possesses one thing. It's one man. I just wanna say our behavior matters when it comes to hosting the presence of God. Contrary to popular belief, it matters who carries the ark and how they carry it. It does, it does matter. Holiness isn't saying no to a list of things. It's saying yes to one thing, to one man. And, and my one yes to Jesus, it's a million no's to every other thing that will take my heart away from him. That's, that's it. And to be a people who live in his presence, how many of you know we must adjust to him? He won't adjust to us. <laughs> if you haven't realized it, 
we are in his world, he's not in our world. <laughs> we must adjust to him. He, he won't adjust to us. And so today, all that, that's a big introduction, but I wanna talk about the reward of his presence how his, his presence is our reward. His presence is not just this ethereal thing that we come in on a Sunday and experience for a little bit then go home. No, his presence is our inheritance. It's our reward. It's what we will spend eternity unveiling, new facets of his presence, new facets of his love. And I, I love it in Revelation. We were just singing about it. The angels constantly on repeat. I mean, constantly singing, holy, 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 worthy, worthy, worthy. And I don't know about you, but... If you sing a song that many times, you get obviously bored with it, it gets routine. And so I, I believe the only way they're still able to sing this over and over is because a new side of his face comes out, a new facet of his nature comes out and they just, oh, there he is again. There's a new side of his nature, holy, holy, holy. He is constantly unveiling deeper places of his presence. And I wanna say, there's more to this Christian life than just making it into heaven. <laughs> there's so much more than just getting in, guys. And I know we know that, that this is what we live for, but, but I wanna put it back in our face again today. I need to hear it for myself that, that, that it's about him. He is our reward. He is our reward. There are deeper places in his presence. And I believe, I love studying revival history. And you know, one of the reasons I love studying why revivals come, <laughs> that's good to know, and why revivals end. And one of the reasons that, I've studied is why revivals end is because people end up trading anointing for opportunity. How <laughs> I many you know and when the Lord comes, he usually comes by a recipe of fasting, of prayer, of desperation, of hunger, and he comes that way. And then favor begins to come, opportunity begins to come, manifestations begin to come. And little by little, the thing that got you there, you, you, you leave that first love, you leave the first love. And the way to sustain his presence is the thing that got you there is the thing that will keep you there. <laughs> to be a people of sustained presence, it's, it's a people of sustained prayer. And the number one reason revival ends is because there becomes a greater emphasis on what the Lord does than who the Lord is, who he is. And the measure that we love, value, and treasure his presence is the measure that he will love, value, and treasure and trust us with more of him. And we're obviously in a drought here in Texas. And I, I never cared about rain until I owned a home. And I'm like, I want my grass to be green. <laughs> and so I found myself this year actually praying for rain. I've never prayed for rain, physical rain in my entire life until I started owning a house and wanted to water my grass. And, and about two weeks ago, there was like a little rain cloud above our house and it showered just like a five minute little bit of rain over our yard. And you would have thought like the way I was celebrating and thanking the Lord, you would have thought it was like a monsoon. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, thank you. The drought is over. I was so happy for the smallest bit of rain, but, but why? It's because my whole life I had treated rain as common until it dried up. <laughs> and many people, treat his presence as common until it dries up. And then they go back to repenting. Then they go back to fasting. But I wanna suggest if we live in the place of repentance as a lifestyle, not just a moment, if we live in the place of prayer and fasting, then we don't have to wait until things dry up to go back to those things because we already live there. We're already in that place of prayer and fasting, of knowing him, making it a lifestyle. 
don't treat it as common. I, I grew up in church my whole life and I wanna say what we are tasting right here in this house, in this season, it is rare on the earth. It is a rare thing. It is very rare. I, I remember I went to a church maybe like last year and I'm like, what, people still do this stuff? This is, what? it's so dry, it's so dead. Where's Jesus in all this? And I needed to see that because I needed to come back home and be like, this is precious. Let's guard this, what we have right here. Let's guard it and let's do whatever it takes to intensify what God is doing here. He's looking for that. And Jesus said, we, we must know the hour of our visitation. We must know when he's knocking on the door and on the road to Emmaus, I love this. He acted like he, he was walking with his disciples. He acted as though he, were, he was moving on to test him, to test the disciples and see how much do you want my presence? And they constrained him and had him stay over the night. And that is the heart cry that sustains the presence of God. So the rest of my time this morning, I wanna give three keys for cultivating a heart that hosts him. Three keys for cultivating a heart that hosts him. I always love practical things. You know, it's, it's great to just talk about great revelation and all that, but I, I like to see practically, what does this look like? How, do you, how does this look like in my everyday life of hosting the presence of God? And so number one, be more consumed with what his presence means to you than what he can do through you. I'll say that again. Be more consumed with what his presence means to you than what he can do through you. I'll drink to that. <laughs> Stephanie Gretzinger, she said recently, the moment that what Jesus can do for us becomes more important than what he means to us, the flame of first love has grown dim in our hearts. And, you know, we live in an American culture that it really deifies influence and leadership. And those are all good things. We need godly influence and godly leaders. It deifies that though. It puts that before anything else. And in the majority of the Western church, we, we really say that if you would only find and discover your God-given destiny, then you will be completely fulfilled and satisfied. And there is some truth to that, that yes, finding your destiny, finding your assignment is massive, massive, but it should not be the first thing that you, that you do when you come into the kingdom. That, that is backseat, that is, that is the passenger seat, that, is not, that should not be the thing in the driver's seat of our lives. And I have walked in seasons where I have been immersed in the, pre, in the, the purposes of God, where I have been detached from the presence of God. And I wanna say those seasons become nightmares. <laughs> being in his presence or being in, in the destiny, walking in the calling, walking in the assignment, detached from the one who gives the assignment and gives the destiny, that is a recipe for a spiritual burnout right there. That, that results in spiritual burnout. I'm, I'm sure we've all been in seasons like that. And when you are more into Jesus though, then your assignment, your assignment will never become an idol to you. <laughs> But when you are more uh, addicted to direction than affection, then that is a recipe for spiritual burnout right there. See, employees, I've said this before, employees, workers, they, they look to the Lord for direction. Just tell me the next place to go. Tell me the next thing to do. But lovers look for direction where they say, I don't really, yeah, it's important to know where to go and what to do, but I just wanna hear the sound of your voice right now. I'm addicted to your voice. And I know as I'm addicted to your voice, the direction will come. 
but I can't have direction without the voice of affection in my heart. Those are the kind of hearts he's wanting in this, in this season right now on the earth. We've had a lot of gifted people come up and fall in, in the body of Christ. We've had a lot of talent, but where has the purity been in the body of Christ? He's longing for pure vessels, for purity, purity, purity. I wanna talk about Bill Johnson one more time. I've shared this many times here, but out of all the things Emily and I got from our time in Bible school, one of the most amazing truths that I heard was during a Q&A session, uh, students were asking Pastor Bill some questions and one student asked Pastor Bill Johnson, Pastor Bill, did you ever think that you would have this huge school of 3,000 students? I mean, you're a man from Weaverville. I mean, I've been to Weaverville. It's, there's nothing in that town. Bill Johnson was born in Weaverville. Small town, came from nothing. Did you ever think you would have a church of 10,000 people? Did you ever think that, that you would have this global outreach? And Bill so softly and with so, such humility said, no, I never dreamed of it. I don't. I don't dream in terms of size and numbers. I dream in terms of depths and realms of his presence. That's where my dreams are. That's where my dreams are because all this stuff that comes with it, that's great, but that won't sustain me. That, I won't take that to heaven with me. I won't take it. What I will take though is my oil, my oil of intimacy, my oil of knowing him. In other words, I feel like Bill was saying, I don't dream upwardly, I dream downwardly. <laughs> I dream on my knees. I dream in terms of how well do I know him? Because if, if I dream downwardly in terms of depths and realms of God, I make Jesus my number one dream. There's nothing he won't accomplish in my life. <laughs> There's nothing. There's nothing. I wanna move on. I wanna read Exodus 33, 12. Verse 12, it says, Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me lead these people, but you have not... Let me know whom you will send with me. Verse 13 said, if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you. Teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Verse 14, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? I love this scripture because in other words, Moses was saying, I don't want the promised land without the promised one. <laughs> Canaan is not the dream. Your presence is the dream. <laughs> I could live in Canaan all day, but my soul will still be dry. I don't want Canaan if I don't have your presence there. And for much, much of the body of Christ, they are more, there's more of an obsession with the promised land than the promised one. <laughs> but when we get the promised one, there's no promised land you can't conquer. And it's a lot more easier that way because he does the work for you. <laughs> I just wanna say there's a better way to build in the presence of God where he does it instead of us. It's him, not by might, not by power, but what? By my spirit, it's the spirit that builds. It's the spirit. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna jump to number two. It's number two, live consistently in inconvenience. <laughs> now that sounds like, what, that's scary. Another way of saying it is be willing to pay any price for his presence, living in sacrifice. So uh, for me personally, I, 
am known by my wife as a mama's boy, <laughs> not only a mama's boy, but a grandma's boy. And I remember growing up in high school while everyone was at parties and football games, I was chilling at my grandparents' house, eating chicken fried steak, drinking Dr. Pepper. That's how I spent, <laughs> that's how I spent my Friday nights. Can I get an amen, right? Like, <laughs> it's awesome. It was glorious. And, uh, you know, every time I go back home, that's one of the first stops I do is go visit my, my grandparents. And I was back home a couple weeks ago. I was sitting with my grandma. We were just looking at different pictures of our ancestors and all that. And I was like, why, why did no one smile back then? <laughs> like all the pictures, everyone just looks angry and like life is so hard. They looked constipated, like, oh my gosh, life is hard. <laughs> and she said, you know, life was a lot more difficult back then. <laughs> they say people back then, they lived in a constant state of sacrifice. Life was hard back then. It was, it was just tough. It was hard. And, and over the last 50 years, obviously, we've seen incredible advancements in technology, incredible things that have made life so much more convenient. And, and as studies show, as, as convenience has risen, depression rates have risen. <laughs> Suicide has risen. Anxiety has risen. Medication use has risen. Just showing you that convenience doesn't mean happiness. Convenience does not mean happiness. God is not interested in our convenience. He's interested in our transformation. Uh, the measuring stick is not how easy is, is Tanner's life right now? No, it's how much does Tanner look like Jesus right now? <laughs> and to get me looking like Jesus, it's gonna be difficult. There's gonna be hard things. There's gonna be betrayal. There's gonna be death. There's gonna be sickness. But as long as I look, at, look like him in eternity, it's worth it. It's worth it. And I wanna, I wanna say that maybe the reason there were so many great revivals and moves of God back in the day is because people applied this sacrificial theme to their spiritual lives, <laughs> this, this thing of sacrifice. And I believe for many of us, his presence can be just like a vaccine where there's just enough of Jesus to get us by and keep us alive, but just enough to make us numb from the fullness. And sacrifice is what will give us the fullness. Sacrifice is what will awaken our hearts to the more of his presence. I wanna read in Exodus again. I'm gonna kind of backtrack what I just read. Verse seven, it says, now Moses took a tent and set it up outside the camp, far away from the camp. He called it the tent of meeting. And notice here the context for Moses' encounter was solitude and separation. <laughs> Solitude and separation. So I'm all about little moments throughout your days saying, I love you, Jesus, I love you. Little prayers like this. But that should never substitute for your time away of consecration, of, of closing the door, going alone and being with him. Should never substitute for that. They should go hand in hand. And so finishing in verse nine, when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and remain at the entrance to the tent and the Lord would speak to Moses. See, oil takes time. <laughs> Wine takes time. I'm speaking figuratively, but Moses knew how to get in the tent and remain in the tent. Some of us go to our prayer, prayer times. It's like, okay, I'm here for two minutes. I, I don't feel anything. Okay, Netflix show right now. <laughs> I've been there. We've all been there. But he's looking in the season for those who will hold on to the horns of the altar, <laughs> who will stick around long enough. If you don't feel anything for the first 30 minutes, Lord, I'm gonna stay here and I'm gonna declare your name until I walk away with a limp in your presence. 
There's no such thing as drive through Jesus. <laughs> There's no such thing as Jesus on the run. <laughs> There's no such thing as microwave ministry. <laughs> it comes through time with him. There's no other way around it. Verse 11, the Lord spoke with Moses face to face, just as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but here's the key. His assistant, Joshua, son of Nun, would not leave the inside of the tent. Other translations say he would remain behind in the tent of meeting, or he chose not to leave the tent. You know, there's a, a famous sermon, I think it was, it was preached in the 80s or 90s about the Joshua generation, of how the Lord's raising up a, a new generation who will lead people and all these leaders will come out of this. And that all may be true, but I wanna suggest that the true Joshua generation is not about how well you can lead, but it's how well do you know how to get to the tent of his presence and remain in the tent of his presence. That is the measuring stick of the Joshua generation. Not how many leadership skills do you have, but how much oil do you have? How well do you know him? Do you grieve at what he grieves? How, do you spend time with him? Are you bathed in his, in his presence? That is the true marking of the Joshua generation. And that was God's leadership academy for Joshua. I believe that was the main reason why God chose Joshua to succeed the great leader Moses is because he knew how to get in the tent and remain in the tent. And to be a people who know the presence, we must be addicted to the tent of his presence. Be addicted to his presence. A.W. Tozer said this, the man who would know God must give time to him. He must count no time wasted, which is spent in the cultivation of his acquaintance. He must give himself to meditation and prayer hours on end. And Leonard Ravenhill, a famous preacher from the 50s said, no man is greater than his prayer life. I wanna say that again, no man is greater than his prayer life. And as I'm saying this, I, I, the last thing I would want is for shame to rise up in anybody of saying, wow, I haven't, man, I haven't done that. I'm not, I'm not praying right now. I've lived in seasons like that more than anybody here. But what I do want you to, to, to hear is I wanna burn again. <laughs> it's attainable. I can get there. I want to know him. And that's what I want all of us, including myself to leave with today is I can't wait to go to my prayer closet and be with him and be alone and cultivate oil with him and know him. Anna and Simeon, I shared this last week, but this so moves me. These two elderly people in Luke 2, they, it was revealed to them that they would touch the Messiah. And so for 80 years, they're, they're in their 80s or 90s, some scholars say that they are in this temple. We, we are... We're seeing them here and finally Jesus comes and they're able to touch the Messiah. They're able to have one touch with Jesus. So what we don't see is the, whatever, 50, 60 years of their blood, sweat and tears, of their prayers, of their sacrifice that really led up to this, what, two or three minute encounter. And I wanna say many times in my life, I will plow in the secret place for maybe months, months and not get the big encounter that I'm wanting. But those six months will give me maybe a five minute encounter with God that makes those six months worth it because five minutes is all you need that will carry you for the next 10 years. It will carry you. That's how good he is. That's how amazing he is. Last thing I wanna leave you with and I could have piano come up is number three, live anchored in eternity. Live anchored in eternity. 
You know, the greatest truth that really keeps my soul anchored to the presence is knowing that I'm not gonna be here forever. <laughs> I don't know if you've realized that, but this body will wear out one day. I know, I know I'm young, I'm in my 20s, but, but living with that awareness that should the Lord tarry, he, I will die one day. Maybe the Lord will break the sky open and come get us. I would love that. But, but regardless, we will face a day where we will stand before the Lord. We will either stay, stand before him as an enemy or as a friend, <laughs> as a lover, as a lover. And the most personally life-changing study I've ever done in the Bible is on the book of Revelation that we did last year. And it just anchored my heart in eternity. Reinhard Bonnke used to say this all the time. He said, Lord, teach me to mind now what will matter in the throne room. <laughs> teach me to live now with what will matter there. <laughs> it really simplifies your life, right? It really simplifies things. Things that you are worrying about right now, you don't seem to worry about them anymore, right? If someone was holding your head down underwater, the last thing on your mind would be, what Netflix series am I gonna watch today? It's, it's get me air, get, get it to me now. <laughs> and I believe that is the truth he's, allowed, he's calling us to walk in as a people of his presence, minding now what will matter in eternity. As I say all the time, Mike Bickle asking the Lord, shock me now, Lord, don't shock me in the end when I stand before you. Shock me now. Pastor Nicole said last week, the presence of God prepares me for eternity with God. The presence of God prepares me for living eternity with God. This may sound really, really extreme to some people, but I've prepared in my heart the thought that I may one day as a preacher of the gospel die a martyr's death. I know that sounds really extreme, but if, if things continue to go the way they're going in the earth, if the, the end time time clock continues to keep ticking, I've already signed off on that check with me in the Lord. It's like, Lord, if, if it comes to that on the earth, I'm okay. It would be an honor. I wanna carry your name till my last breath, till the end. There's a special place about being anchored in eternity. I've heard many stories of doctors and nurses who have watched hundreds of patients die. And they will tell you, they know the ones who know the Lord and they know the ones who do not know the Lord. <laughs> the ones who don't know the Lord, they will fight death until the end. They will scream, they will shout as though they're fighting a demon. When all you need to do is say yes and surrender. Jesus said, over my dead body, will you go to hell? <laughs> he made it that easy. Just say yes to him. And the ones who know the Lord, they go in such peace. There's such a peace about them. They have this assurance. They have this confidence. <laughs> they, they go in peace. I wanna read this last passage. In Matthew 25, this is a, the parable of the 10 virgins. And the context this parable is given, it's really interesting because a lot of the parables Jesus gives, he gives it in public out in the open for crowds, but pay attention to the parables he gives in private <laughs> because he's revealing secrets of his heart. He doesn't reveal the secrets of his heart to everybody. He doesn't reveal the secrets of his heart to the masses, but the disciples, a couple of them pull him aside and say, Lord, 
what's gonna happen in the end? And he begins telling them about eternity and about the end times, about the last days. And in that same breath, he gives this parable. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. Five of them were foolish, but five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they did not take oil with them. But the wise ones took oil in their flasks with their lamps. Since the groom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. In the middle of the night, there was a shout, here's the groom, come out to meet him. And all those virgins got up and trimmed their lamps. But the foolish ones said to the sensible ones, give me some of your oil. <laughs> I say this a lot, but Pastor David can't give me his intimacy with God. I've heard a pastor say that God doesn't have grandchildren. He only has children. That means you have to know him for yourself. You can't rely off your mother, your dad. You can't lay hands on someone and impart a prayer life. You have to go seek that out yourself. It's responsibility. Give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. The wise ones answered, no, there won't be enough for us and for you. Go instead to those who sell and buy oil for yourselves. When they had gone to buy some, the groom arrived and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the rest of the virgins also came out and said, master, master, open up for us. But he replied, I assure you, I do not know you. Therefore be alert because you don't know either the day or the hour. See, Jesus equates knowing him to having oil with him. <laughs> and there's only one way to get oil and you can't purchase it online. <laughs> you, can't, you can go to as many conferences as you want. You could go to a stadium and preach in a stadium. You could prophesy over thousands of people in your life. That won't give you oil, but will give you oil. Shutting your door, <laughs> shutting off the devices, going alone and say, I want to know you. I wanna know you. And I'm willing to sit in the uncomfortability of silence, no matter how long it takes. I think we've gotten really too scared of silence sometimes. <laughs> we forget that with Elijah, he wasn't in the loud whirlwind. He wasn't in the noise of the storm. He wasn't in the earthquake. He was in the whisper. Sit down and sit in the whisper of his presence. If you don't feel anything the first day, keep at it. You don't feel anything the second day, keep at it. The fact that you show up screams on the loudspeaker of heaven. There's a hungry one right here. <laughs> There's a hungry one right here. You don't have to get anything out of it every time. Just show up. There's so many times I come and I'm like, that seems so wasted. And then I feel the pleasure of the Lord say, oh, thank you for giving me your presence. And I'm like, giving me your presence, giving me my presence. What about giving me your presence, Lord? This is so beautiful. <laughs> he values your presence. He values you. He didn't program us as robots to, to he didn't program you to love him. He programmed us to love, but it's up to us of who we will love. 
in this parable, the greatest measurement for success in Jesus's eyes was not how much influence did you have? How well known were you? How well did you flow in signs and wonders? I'm not, I'm not negating that. Gosh, we need signs and wonders, a display of the presence. But, but the only thing we will take into eternity is our oil, is our knowing him. We won't even take our titles. Not once in my prayer time has God referred to me as Pastor Tanner. <laughs> He's never done it. I don't think he will. I don't want him to. No, when we stand before him, what, what's he gonna say? Well done, good and faithful servant. <laughs> servant. It's, it's costly. It's costly. I would be lying to you as a pastor here saying that this is the easiest thing in the world. It's costly, but it's so worth it. It's so valuable. Who, who will pay the price and get out of their comfort zone and say, I'm gonna dedicate, I'm gonna wake up an extra hour early or whatever. I'm gonna go to bed an extra hour later. Aaron Smith, when he was here, he said, why would we ever need the Holy Spirit as comforter if we're never willing to get out of our comfort zones? <laughs> See, when we, when we operate in sacrifice, he will not leave you hanging. He will provide the comforter to comfort us and honor what we're paying a price for. If I'm ever feeling pulled away and strained in hundreds of different areas, this truth right here simplifies my life back to the reality that Jesus told Martha, one thing is needed. <laughs> one thing is needed. And there's no demon in hell that can take away our first love. We can give it away though. We can look the other way, but he'll be waiting for us when we wanna look back at him. <laughs> He's that good. He's that gracious. Last thing I wanna say, and then I'll, then I'll close. Evan Roberts, I shared about him before. He was he's just one of my favorite revivalists who led the Welsh revival. When he was in his 20s, he had this hunger and passion for the Lord. He went to seminary thinking he would experience God, but how many of you know God is not in every seminary that you go to? And so he was just getting a lot of head knowledge, not a lot of heart knowledge. And he had all this passion. I wanna love God, I wanna know him, but I feel like I'm hitting this wall. And he remembers walking on campus and seeing this huge wooden cross over one building. And when he looked at the cross, he, his, his heart was cold towards the cross. His heart was dull towards the cross. And it so bothered him. <laughs> it bothered him that the emblem of his faith brought him nothing to his heart. And he could have done one or two things. He could have said, okay, that's just life. I don't, I'm, I'm not gonna feel it all the time. That's just life. Let me just go on. Life is normal. And I wanna say, yes, we, we don't always feel the Lord's presence, but don't allow that to numb you from the fact that there's more. <laughs> that feeling him is a huge part of the kingdom reality. So instead, he dropped out of college. I'm not saying drop out of college or don't go to college. I went to college. <laughs> he dropped out though, and he gave himself to the prayer room. He gave himself to the prayer room. He labored day after day on his knees until one day he woke up and looked at that cross and just the mere sight of it brought tears to his eyes. And he said, that is worth every dime in my bank account. Just shedding a tear at the thought of Jesus on a cross is worth giving up college for. It's worth, it's worth hours for the fact that my heart is burning right now. My heart is burning. I want us to go ahead and stand up to our feet. And I want you to just look at the Lord right now. Close your eyes all over the room. 
If you wanna get in a posture of worship, get in a posture. If you wanna come down to the front to worship, come down to the front. But my question to you is, what, what comes to our hearts when we think of the cross? What comes to our hearts when we think of the name Jesus? Are you burning right now? Are you burning with first love? Are you weighed down by the afflictions of life? Is life entangling you? I feel like the Lord's saying it's time to simplify things. <laughs> it's time to simplify. This morning, I just wanna pray for us because I'm, I'm raising my hand right now as one that's saying, Lord, I need to be relit on fire today. <laughs> I need to go back to the one thing of your presence. If you want me to pray over you today, if you want just a fresh touch from the Lord, if you wanna burn again, if you want to know him again, if you would just raise your hands. If you wanna just raise your hands. And let's just worship. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come. But I want you to just have a moment with the Lord right where you're at. And I just want repentance just to be coming from our mouths. Lord, I just repent for choosing other things that weren't you. I repent, Lord, for choosing different things. Lord, I repent. If I ever hurt Emily's heart, the first thing I do, I repent. I'm sorry. <laughs> and I just want you right now to build an altar with the Lord, build an altar with him. And I just feel like he's depositing uh, whispers in your heart of saying, hey, 7 a.m. tomorrow morning, come meet with me. Or, hey, when, we get, when you get home tonight, come meet with me. I just feel like he's giving you these little whispers of opportunity, these invitations. Hey, I wanna know you, I wanna know you, I wanna know you. He's so jealous for our hearts. And I just want you to begin doing business with God right now. Begin allowing him to fill your heart, fill the cold places. And I just want you to surrender all over again. Surrender all over again and ask him to fill you. Lord, we pray that you would fill us again, God. Fill us again. You're one moment away, God. It doesn't take years of just doing all these spiritual gymnastics. No, but one moment can change anything. One moment. You can leave this place burning right now. So Lord, we lay on the altar and we ask you to set us on fire again. Thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church.